0: This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore. Timothy Snyder, he was in my movie, Fahrenheit 11.9, two years ago. He is one of our great scholars of European history. His writings over the years on, on how and why advanced and educated societies turned to fascism has now, of course, become essential reading, especially in the age of Trump. Timothy Snyder wrote a wonderful short book that came out right after the 2016 election called On Tyranny. I'm sure many of you read it. One of those great the little books. <laughs> remember back when we used to go to bookstores and right by the cash register? Remember cash registers? There was a pile of his books. It was it was really one of the most important books of, of the early uh, Trump years, On Tyranny. It provided a, a step-by-step guide for citizens, us, you and me, to not give in or allow our rights to be stripped, and for our democracy to be shredded. And of course, that's why I wanted him to be in Fahrenheit 11.9, and so we could talk about that further. Dr. Snyder is a professor of history at Yale University and a fellow at the Institute for Human Sciences in Vienna. Um, now he has a new book out, and this one's a much more uh, personal book called Our Malady, and I'm very pleased to have him here on Rumble with me today welcome timothy snyder
1: great to talk to you again
0: so i'm talking to you from vienna what is it uh that you are doing there other than reenacting the sound of music
1: mostly i'm raising my kids uh oh, which is well, that's, what I that's mostly, mostly always do and uh I, I am teaching um yale where i teach is all online so i'm 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 teaching, but it's mostly in the middle of the night now, as opposed to the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And then, when, you know, when I can, I'm talking about the book that we're talking about, and then I'm I'm doing some research too.
0: So, just so we, people know what we're, you and I are talking about, because I've I've read the book, but tell the people listening to this exactly. What happened?
1: I'll tell the story. You know, the thing to keep in mind is that when it was happening, I didn't understand all the things that I'm that I understand now. And part of the problem was that I, I, I wasn't helped to understand the things that I should have been helped to understand. It, it started when I was taking a, a business trip to Europe. Um, I was flying to Munich, and I felt sick, and I felt. I, I I was really pleased with myself because I you know I'm I'm a I'm a like a, a typically stupid Midwestern guy about pain so I was I, I don't like to go to doctors I don't like to go to the hospital but I I made myself go to the hospital in Munich and I was diagnosed with a a, a viral infection when in fact at that point I clearly already had um, appendicitis and the reason why I'm sure of that is that. A couple two days after that, this is in early December last year, 2019. Two days after that, my appendix burst. Um, But I had been told I had been told that it was you know my my gut was going to hurt for a while because of this infection, and so I just ignored the pain when my appendix burst, um, which is like I'm just you know don't do that anyone who's listening it's just idiotic what i did but i just they they told me it was going to hurt right and so my my view about pain is okay they say it's going to hurt then it hurts and so fine you just keep going i was trying to finish a book at the time you know i was busy i had i had two conferences and a public lecture and i was trying to do the stuff i was supposed to do you know like you do and um so, my appendix burst, I kept doing the stuff I was supposed to do, um, gave a lecture, went to a conference, and then I, I flew back home with a burst appendix and and peritonitis, apparently, uh, over the Atlantic. And I got I got back to the U.S., and I still didn't feel very well, and I started to feel the kind of malaise you were talking about, and I went to a hospital in, in, in New Haven, and they said, yes, indeed, you have appendicitis, let's take your appendix out, and I was all in favor of that, you know, let's, you know get the job done right away, cut the thing out. And, um, they, they, they did so, but when they did the scans, they also noticed that there was something wrong with my, with my liver, something suspicious with my liver. The problem was, uh, they forgot to tell me that they didn't say anything about the liver, uh, which was infected, it turned out. And, um, they didn't, they didn't schedule any treatment for the liver. They just let me go. And, you know, this is the typical American thing. You go into the hospital at the last possible moment, out of the hospital at the quickest possible moment. So, they, they took the appendix out. I was, I was out of the hospital less than 24 hours after that with just a few antibiotics to take. And uh, meanwhile, this liver thing kept growing. Now, I didn't know that, right, because nobody told me about that. Um, I called my doctor and said, look, there's a family vacation in Florida, long planned. My mother will be upset if I don't go. Can I go? She said, sure, no reason why you can't go. Perhaps she could have mentioned that my liver was infected, but she didn't. She forgot, or I don't know what, but she didn't tell me. I went to Florida um, day before Christmas Eve. I wake up and I can't feel my hands and feet. It's like it's like every, my, my my extremities are covered with hot steel wool. Like there's this sort of like scraping, very mm-hmm. hot feeling. Go to the hospital in Florida. They test me for all kinds of terrifying neurological things. They don't find anything there. My liver enzymes are up, but nobody notices. They perform a spinal tap, negative result. So they let me go. Um, and then I keep feeling worse. I think I'm feeling worse because the spinal tap, but that's not it. I'm feeling worse because of this untreated liver infection. My wife decides to pick me up um, and take me back to, to New Haven. Basically, you know she asked me like, where do you want things to happen? Do you want them to happen in Florida or do you want them to happen in New Haven? I want to go back to New Haven because New Haven feels like home. I thought like, okay, if something terrible is gonna happen, I want it to happen, you know, <laughs> where I know people um, where I know the way things are messed up. That's how I was thinking. So I came back to New Haven friend picks me, up, picks me up at the at the airport. You know, kids are watching all of this. My wife is watching me terrified on the flight back. Um, a friend takes whisks me away, takes me as quickly as possible to the emergency room in New Haven. Another friend is waiting for me there who's a doctor. I try to get into the emergency room, but I don't complain. You know, I don't complain enough. And the friend who's waiting for me, um, although she's uh, actually a, a, a physician is also a black woman. And it was a Saturday night and somehow on Saturday night, being a black woman was more important than being a physician. Nobody took it seriously. It was hard to get into the emergency room. Once I got into the emergency room, I was in there for 17 hours before. Oh my God.
0: They didn't take her seriously because, because, well, this is what you, you listen to any black person describe their experience of trying to deal with a hospital or a doctor sometimes. And it's um, they get ignored. So in the book, you sort of mentioned this, that um, they really weren't giving her the attention that she needed them to have to focus on you. And perhaps some of them didn't even think that, you know, maybe she wasn't a doctor or she wasn't that level of a doctor because, of course, she's a black woman. And and that you're in this writhing pain having to also witness American racism in in full display.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but the thing is, when you're almost dead, like this stuff, it's funny, like what you still know. And I, you know, so like you say, like my hands and my feet were were tingling and numb and burning. I had a crushing headache. I could barely move. Um, My fever got up to 104 and so on and so on and so on. But even then, you know, I, I, my, like my American self could see, oh, this is the racism that's going on. Right. Like I was obsessed with this because naturally I wanted people to listen to my friend because she was right that I needed attention. And I knew just why, you know, I, I knew like deep in my heart, I knew exactly what was going on. Just like any American who's honest would know what was going on in that situation.
0: Can I also point out having had appendicitis and my appendix out also that, um, when the appendix bursts. And I was told this at the time, it's like, you've got to go to the hospital right away uh, that you could be dead within an hour uh, with a burst uh, appendix or two hours or three. You flew across the Atlantic. How are you even talking to me right now? I mean, seriously, that part of the story just blows my mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I think my immune system is like the un, unsung hero of all this because I got, I mean, I, I my, my appendix burst. And my body took care of it. I mean, it hurt. It hurt a lot, but actually, my body took care of that. It took care of the peritonitis. I was. I, I would have survived the burst appendix. What I wasn't going to survive was the liver infection. And so, when I went into the doctor, when I went to the hospital in New Haven. And they spotted the liver problem and didn't tell me, that was the death sentence. I mean, that was the medical death sentence right there when they, when they let the liver infection go because the liver infection was too much. The liver infection is what then mm-hmm. took me to sepsis, which is what was going to kill me.
0: And explain sepsis to people. With that. Oh,
1: yeah. So, yeah, there are a lot. I mean, there, like I had a lot of time to sit around and read and like my, my my father-in-law is a doctor and he sent me books and I know a lot of stuff now that I didn't know before. But sepsis right. means that an infection has spilled into your bloodstream. And so, I mean, you have, you have you know, of course you have bacteria in your body all the time, but sepsis, sepsis means that the wrong kind of bacteria are in your blood. Bacteria which shouldn't be in your blood or suddenly in your blood, and they're Which then takes the
0: bacteria, bacteria; it's all of a sudden now in the bloodstream, so it's on a high-speed freeway.
1: Exactly, going it's through going, your whole body. It's go, it's going everywhere, and it and it feels, it feels terrible. I mean, you feel like you feel like like you feel like only some of you is present. It's a very strange, strange feeling, like you're just being taken away somewhere from. From the inside and i mean what you said about the appendix is even more true with sepsis i mean the the basic idea is you get that patient on the antibiotic drip right away um people die of sepsis i mean people die of sepsis all the time i mean it just i just shudder to think about it and it's one of these things that you have to you just have to diagnose it and i mean as it happened in the emergency room i was not they they did all kinds of crazy things like they uh, the most obvious thing to guess would have been i just had a surgery in that same hospital, um, you know, not very long before, maybe perhaps something went wrong with that surgery, but they didn't go that way. They went all kinds of other different ways. And meanwhile, I was in sepsis the whole time. It was nine hours before I was in antibiotics. It was 17 hours before I was was diagnosed. So, I mean, the thing you say about flying with a burst appendix, yeah, you know, that's true. But (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 this the, being, being without antibiotics on sepsis in sepsis for all that time also should have killed me. I mean, that's, that's where I really got lucky.
0: Wow. Wow. You know, it's, um, people are listening to this right now because they, they, if they heard my introduction of you, they're saying this man, um, who, and there's a, there's a part here in the first half of the book where you're talking about you even walk into one of these hospitals with the records that the last hospital gave you, with stuff on a digital disc of the, you know, whatever CAT scans or whatever you might have had there, and offering, and they didn't want to look at it. They wouldn't take it from you. They wouldn't, oh, no, we do our own stuff here. You know, we don't want to look at what you brought. And had they looked at that, they might have maybe seen something on your liver, perhaps. But, um, but, the, but what I was saying is, is, that you are a distinguished professor at Yale University. You are in a Yale University-run hospital. Um, your father-in-law is a doctor. You know, if if you're going to get sick in America, folks, uh, Tim, you those three things I just stated. Uh, it's like, boy, if I ever get sick. I, please make me a distinguished professor at the university <laughs> where I'm in that hospital that the university is running. Oh, and by the way, there's my father-in-law, you know, who happens to be a doctor. It, it's like it could, you couldn't be in a better spot. And yet what you became a firsthand witness to in terms of our healthcare system and how things work um, was, um, well, It at some point you say you got out a piece of paper um, and some kind of notebook and just started in, in, in whatever groggy pain ridden condition you were in started taking notes.
1: You're very right to say I was privileged. And like, that's the point, you know, like if, it, if an articulate, articulate, educated middle-aged white guy in his hometown, um, in a hospital, you know, where he actually knows people, mm. uh, Can almost die for really bad reasons, Mm. that's a sign, you know, that the whole country's in trouble. But the other thing about privilege is this, is that it's all, this whole thing is a mind game where all Americans are trapped in this mind game because we think, because healthcare is competitive in this country, right? You think, okay, I've got insurance and I've got better insurance than the next guy. And I've probably even got better insurance than that guy over there, right? And the problem is it's all a trap because we, you know, we, we think we have good care when all we have is less bad care than the other people, and even those of us who have pretty good care, like I do, still have rotten care compared to places like Germany and Austria, where you know the the you know, I, I just I just had a nice you know the the, the waitress who served me dinner um at the Vietnamese restaurant I just came from has better health insurance and better health care than I do, even though as you say, I'm a professor and it's a it's a university, it's a university hospital. She has better health care. Mm. If the same thing happens to her, she's going to get better treated than I was.
0: And and not just any university that you work for or this is an Ivy League school. People have heard of Yale. <laughs> this is this is so stunning. And and yes, the fact that this Waitress, in, 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 and I'm, and you're not saying it, and I'm not saying, like, well, how, why should she have such great right. care? There's nothing um, special about it because everybody in Austria um, has this kind of health care. And whether you're a waitress or whether you're a CEO, you're all part of the same health plan. I'm sure they have, I'm sure the CEO can pay a little extra and get a private room, you know, if he's in a hospital. But some countries don't allow that. Some countries are like, no, they because they see they realize that if the rich have to participate in the same system that the waitress does, that's going to be a great system because that CEO is going to make damn sure if if he has to go to the hospital someday, it's going to be the best, no matter where he is in Austria.
1: Well, he's also more likely to be willing to pay taxes if he thinks he's part of a part of a part of a good system. But like, there's a there's a there's another. Big psychological thing here, which Americans miss, which is um, which is feeling like you belong to the same country as everyone else, or or just flat out patriotism. I mean, if if everyone is competitive with everyone else when it comes to this most intimate and important thing, which is life and death and our health, then then we don't feel like we belong to the same society. And if 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 some people are opting out then of course we don't really have one country you know then we then we have two different countries on the contrary though like in places where there is a, a health system people are proud of it it becomes a source of national pride and you don't feel competitive. Like when I'm in a waiting room here, you know, or, or another European country, I'm not, I'm worried about a lot of things, but I'm not worried that the guy next to me has better care or better or, or worse healthcare or whatever. I'm not worried that the doctors and nurses are going to be forced to make decisions on the basis of money because I know that's not going to happen. Jeez, you, you know, what
0: what is about this that we don't realize? That you know, the rest of the world looks at us. They don't understand why we would allow profit to enter into something that's so basic, taking care of people when they're sick. And if they, if they and if they don't have the gold standard, then you know, to the back of the line they go. It's 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 um, when we finally fix this. I truly believe that historians, the Timothy Snyder's of the next century, are going to look back and really. Pose some serious questions as who the hell were these people?
1: Yeah, well, people have been posing that question for 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 a hundred years. I mean, um, you know, one, one of one of my one of my former students, um, a, a professor at UConn called Sarah Silverstein, is is writing a book about um, medic- doctors in the 1920s and 1930s who who worked all around the world on um, immunization and hygiene and other things. And they were struck even then, 100 years ago in the U.S., by our attitudes about all this stuff. And it's the same story over and over again. Like, I mean, if uh, part of it is race, that you can't tell Americans that we should all have something good because immediately people will start to think, well, we can't let those immigrants have it. We can't let, can't, let the, can't let the blacks have it. And once you have that thought, you end up, everybody ends up having something which is worse. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like we could all have something which is better, but instead we choose to have something which is worse for us because we think it's going to be still worse for other people. And another thing which I think is, I mean, so strange about America is, this, is, is freedom. We talk about freedom all the time. I mean, this is why I made liberty the subject of, of, mm. of our malady. We talk about freedom, but we have this really narrow idea of freedom. You can't be free without your body. You can't be free if you're really sick. I mean, this year of all years should, should make this clear. If you, can't, you know, if you can't do the things you want to do with your body, you're just not free. And this means that our body shouldn't be an object on the market. You know, our body is us. Our bodies should be on, should be beyond other people's decisions about buying and selling and profit. Our, that's why you know that's what it means to say health is a human right. That we have when we talk about freedom, we also have to be talking about our bodies. Because if we don't, then somebody else will find a way to buy and sell our bodies or buy and sell our sickness, which is the system that we've got now.
0: So in the book, um, you make then this um, this uh, not a leap, but you take a step away from your personal situation. To then look at the larger implications of of this of this malady, and it's not just the malady of of, uh, of an appendix um, or a liver or whatever, um, but um, you begin then to talk about, you know, what 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 does this say about us, and who do we want to be as Americans, and and what is preventing us? What is the larger malady? That we are suffering from, um, I'll let you just take it from there. But I just, I, I, I just think this is it's such a gift for you to take your to talk about the, your personal situation, and and then expand it to the, you know, to the larger discussion that we all need to be having. I,
1: I think a big part of our malady as a country is pain. That there's there's just too much pain, uh, physical pain, um, emotional pain, trauma, and I think in various ways our political system is addicted to pain. I mean the most the most obvious thing to point to is is the the opioid epidemic, um, where you know people do have real physical pain, but then there's profit to be made from that pain. Uh, but the uh, but it's larger than that. I mean, we, we have a, we're in a situation where people don't really expect to be healthy, or at least anymore. People just kind of hope that it's going to be worse for somebody else. And we've got, we've got a president who's very good at working with that feeling. He's very good at taking all the fear and anxiety, which comes out of our rotten healthcare system and from other places too, and directing it in various ways. I mean, that's for me, like the fact that we have an economy of pain instead of the pursuit of happiness is is one way that America has has really gone wrong. Uh, and, and second, you know, we talked about it already a bit, is, is profit. You know, we talk about America's healthcare as being a fifth of the gross domestic product as though that was a good thing. That is not a good thing. It's not a good thing if, you know, I'm paying lots of money to um, a private equity company in order to get sick and die, that's just not a good thing. Um, it, we, you know, it, we should be paying much less for health care and getting better care. All these countries... In Europe, where people live longer and healthier lives, where they have acts easier access to better health care, they're also paying a lot less money for it. So the fact that people are, are, are ever better at taking money from healthcare ever better at squeezing those doctors down to 15-minute appointments, ever better at monetizing every single aspect of what should be a private and personal relationship between doctors and patients. That fact is not giving us better healthcare. It's making healthcare look like a bigger part of our economy because more profit is being taken. But it's giving us worse health care. I mean, it's depressing to think that America life American life expectancy peaked in 2014. It's depressing for my students to think, okay, I could have shorter a shorter life um, and a poorer life than than my parents and 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 my grandparents. So, you know, that's that's the other part of it that we we if it's if it's if it's for profit, then actually life and health aren't what matter. What matters is what kind of sickness and what kind of treatment can you make money from? And that's where everything is going to, is going to tilt and we'll explain that away and we'll call it bad luck. You know Uh, we'll make excuses, but that's really what's going on. And that's why, you know, that's why I almost died because it was too hard for me to get into a hospital and too easy for me to get out. And that, you know, The doctors have stories about that. Anyone can tell a story about that, but fundamentally, that just comes down to money.
0: It's bothered me for the longest time. And and, you know, I just look at things simply like: would we require our fire department to show a profit? You know, it's just the city council sit around and say, you know, we're not we're not making any money off this these fire trucks. You know, it's like no, you're not supposed to. That's why we have government. It's why it's why it's it's called a public service. We pay taxes for it. But there was a time when, uh, in the beginning of this country, they tried to uh, set up a fee system, and and you would pay into it so that if there ever was a fire, the fire department would come and put it out. But if you didn't pay for it in advance and your house caught on fire, they just let it burn. That system didn't last long because... uh, by letting it burn, that meant the neighbor's homes burn. And some of those neighbors maybe did pay the fee, but they lost their house anyways because you didn't pay your fee. So they stopped doing that and they decided, you know, this is one of the services that government should probably provide. But why don't we think that way about healthcare? care? And, and, you know, and you know, so you've traveled. People in these other countries, they think we're nuts. They really don't understand us being the richest country on the planet. And we can't do this uh, for our people.
1: I mean, what you what you say about fire is true for is true for epidemics, and we're paying the price for that right now. I mean, there there are, there are lo- there are a lot of reasons why you know three hundred thousand Americans are going to die of this disease before the year is over, and many of them have to do with just the the the, the, the horrifying scorn for human life of, of our of our president. But part of it is is just what you say. I mean, just like fire prevention is a public good. It has to be shared because fires spread. Health is also public good. It has to be shared because diseases spread. If you set up a society where there's no sick leave, then people are gonna go to work when, when they've caught the coronavirus. If you set up a society where half the country uh, doesn't have enough money to risk going to the hospital, those people are gonna catch coronavirus and and they're gonna spread it. That's what we've done. I mean, because we because we have the equivalent of what you're talking about, we 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 have this epidemic. You can only have health together. You know, you can you can only really do this together. There are things that are public goods. And the funny thing is in America we think, oh, a public good, that means I'm I'm less free. No, it doesn't. It means you're more free. I mean, air is a public good. If we have clean air, then we're free to go outside. Water. I mean, you know, you know this better than me, Flint. I mean, water is a public good. If if you don't have access to clean water, you can't have a free, normal life. If, If the more parks you have, the freer you are. You know, public goods actually make us free, and that's just something that Americans can't quite get straight for some, for some reason. I mean, as for other countries, I mean, at this point, it's just pity. You know, I've never, I've never, you're right. I've traveled a lot my whole adult life. I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different places. I've seen a lot of attitudes towards America. Some of them I understood, some of them I didn't, but this one is new. I've never seen so many people just universally pity us before, but it's, Mm -hmm. and it's sincere, right? It's not like they're taking any pleasure out of it. No, no,
0: right. They're not being mean about it. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. They like us, or a lot of us, and they hate to see that so many of us are dying for no damn reason.
1: Even the ones who don't like us, Michael. I mean, they're they're pitying us too now, because like this. I mean, the scenes that come out of the United States are just so different from what people, at least in Europe, you know, are, are used to seeing. It's just it's you know the the mass graves particularly seem to seem to reach people.
0: So you said you don't know why though. You don't know why we are this way when it comes to things like healthcare, but you must have thought about it. You, you must have thought about why, why, why we're not dummies. We're good people. What, what's, what, what's going on here? Does it come back? Does this too come back to race? I mean, it, it's, ah, uh.
1: I think, I mean, I think some of it, you know, you say we're good people. I think some of it comes to, Are learning how to be a people. I mean, you know, we've had a constitution for a long time, and our history. You know, as a republic, we're old, but I think we're still learning how to be a people. That is a people that doesn't have a frontier anymore. That can't solve problems by by taking more land. you know, that it's going to be pulling back from the world rather than going back in, out into the world. I, don't, I, I think we don't really know how to behave as that, as that kind of country, you know, where we have to look around and say, okay, this is what we got. You know, we got these people of European origin. We've got these people who are descended from slaves. We've got these people who are descended from the native so th- of this continent. We have other, we have descendants of other kinds of immigrants. What are we going to do with this? I don't think we've answered that question, and I mean, I mean this very seriously because I think certain kinds of people, you know, who 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 you know and I know, certain kinds of people in the middle of the country are really suffering from this. Like the idea that I'm tough, I can face this down. You know, I don't need I don't need health care. I don't want the government helping me out because if the government helps me out, and then this is where race comes in, it's just going to be helping other people out more because I don't really need it. I'm tough, and that's you know, that's that's the frontier. Like that's our history speaking mm-hmm. through us, and, right? And, and and the way race gets into it is that people then the wrong kind of politician you know and this started with Reagan and and, and continues today the wrong kind of politician says yeah you're tough you don't need that health care you know but those those welfare queens are going to take it you know, those black people are gonna take it, they're gonna abuse it. So let's not spend our hard earned tax dollars on something like that. And so the, the the stereotype that the white guy is tough and that the the black people are gonna just exploit things, those racial stereotypes then you know come in merge in with our history and create this and create a situation where white people are literally dying. You know, for their for their own racism. You know, they're dying for a belief in something which they really shouldn't believe in, anyway. And of course, black people are suffering even more as as a result of it. And I think the third reason we already we mentioned, which is the the, the wealth inequality. You know, when I when I stumbled when I was in the emergency room, I was thinking about a lot of things, but I wasn't thinking about calling up you know my powerful friends to help me out. <laughs> and like
0: yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned in the book that. That when you were out, friends of yours in uh, New Haven and elsewhere said, "Well, I don't understand. You mean why would you sit in the in the emergency room for seventeen hours? Or you're you're Dr. Tim Snyder? Why didn't you?" And you say in the book that that you said, "No, I didn't. I didn't like make a special call or ask for special treatment or whatever." And. And well, you should just, you, I mean, it didn't even, it didn't
1: even, I mean, that didn't even occur to me. That, that, that did, it didn't, that didn't occur to you. Wow. That didn't, didn't occur to me. No, I, I mean, I thought there's this, I mean, I think I was a little naive, but I mean, also in some sense, like I still am, like, you know, I, I, I'm still this kid from the Midwest at some level, you know, I just think like, I just thought that that honestly didn't occur to me. You know, I basically thought the system works. And then everyone afterward, not everyone, but several people berated me or my wife afterwards for not calling up the, the, and maybe, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe that's how the system works. But the whole point is if that's how the system works, then it's not a system that's working, you know, then it's not a system that's working. Um, We can't have a system where the only way to survive an easily diagnosable, but, but lethal condition is that you get on the phone and, 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 and call some, you know, and call some rich pal. That, that, that's not a medical system that works. But I mean, I was a little naive because what people said afterwards is like, look, everybody knows, everybody knows that you have to do that. Everybody knows that the hospitals don't work. Everybody knows that. I guess I, you know, I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. But the whole point is if that, that just means that the situation, that the whole structure is based on, on inequality And, and it shouldn't be because yeah, I could have called some people. I didn't, it didn't occur to me, but I could have done it. But most people can't do that. And you just can't create a system where people think, man, I'm going to die now because I can't make a phone call. You know, that's just sad. I mean, for a country where we say all people are created equal, that's just pathetic.
0: Yeah. But if you were my dad or my brother, you know, I, I would agree with everything you just said, but then I would go, um, (laughs) I got to make a call here or something, even though I know there's something horribly unfair and wrong about this. You don't want to lose your dad, you know? Well,
1: it's- you're talking, I mean, you're my, yeah. I mean, my wife is obviously very, this, these, these things made my wife make my wife feel very guilty. Right. I mean, cause she's like, she was the, like people tell her, why didn't you do this? You know? And she and I just like, I mean, in some sense, we're just like egalitarian people. Like that this didn't occur to her either, you know? And so now she feels guilty for the reason that you're for the reason that you're giving.
0: No, I, I want more Americans like your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we would live in a better country if people had your attitude. And 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 out of this experience, now you seem now you're driven with another cause, with another desire to fix what's wrong here to not let something like this go on. Um, and it's so admirable. I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, between this book and your last one, uh, your last one, just, you know, the really got everybody thinking and talking about, let's get, we have to be ready. We have to be ready. Cause you know, read this book. Cause it lays it all out. What we think Trump is going to do. And of course um, you know, I don't know if, if Rachel or somebody has done a check a checklist yet over your your twenty chapters in this book, and it's it's not a big book. It has twenty chapters in it, but it's 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 anybody can read this book, and um, maybe you've done it. I mean, how many uh, how many boxes have been checked in what you were warning us about in in on tyranny?
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: you're too humble to even go there. It's you
1: know. No, I mean. Uh, I wish, I I mean, it would be, so when the book came out, you know, as you can imagine, as you probably remember, I mean, you know, we talked about it pretty, you know, really early on, but, you know, a lot of folks, even the folks who liked it, I mean, they were kind of hesitant to identify themselves with it because the general idea in America was, of course, we're different, we're exceptional, the institutions are going to protect us and so on. And, you know, that just, that just wasn't true. I mean, I I wrote, so I wrote, I wrote these 20 lessons and On Tyranny In the order that people should try to follow them. That's why number one is do not obey in advance because, you know, if you obey in advance, if you go along with the drift, you're not going to be able to do any of the other 19. So like that's number one. But I also organized it in the order, you know, as you, as you suggest, in the order of how things are going to happen. And so the ones towards the end of the list are the ones which are which are the most you know the the, the most dangerous and unfortunately the ones that are most relevant now. So you know number sixteen is learned from peers in other countries. We, we're, we're seeing now in Belarus how really determined people who are whose only cause basically is to have their votes counted actually can stand up for a long period of time to a regime which is much more frightening than 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 ours is you know 17 is listen for dangerous words the president in discussing black lives matter and protesters in general talks about anarchists and thugs this is this is basically the language that hitler used in 1933 after the reichstag fire 18 is be calm when the unthinkable arrives that's where we are. You know, the unthinkable is here. We have a president who is trying to spoil an election. There are a lot of things we need to do, but we need, we need to be calm. So we're in, that, we're in that territory towards the end of the book where, you know, the lessons, start, the lessons start to run out because we're heading towards a moment of regime change, you know, and after, after we do have a regime change, you know, when our voting doesn't matter and when many more of us will be subject to oppression than are now, then it would have to be a totally different book
0: when you say remain calm um, people right now are screaming uh, into their <laughs> headphones. What do you mean remain calm? I can't, I'm. you're asking me to do that. And you're asking during a pandemic. Um, and, and I got the kids in the other room trying to learn on zoom. Um, the, but explain what you mean by that, because I, I mean, I remember what you, how you put it in the book and it's not just remain calm. Like just go take a sedative and, and have a nap
1: yeah i mean the the idea is that that uh, uh, americans are 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 going to face things that we're not used to facing or let's put it this way um, many americans are going to face the kinds of tactics that we're not used to facing i mean if you're african-american or if you hold certain kinds of radical beliefs, you have faced these things before. But most Americans haven't faced the politics of emergency before. I mean, admittedly, if you're in Puerto Rico or if you're in Flint, Michigan, you have, but the politics of emergency, you know, this idea that we're in an exceptional situation, you know, everybody's got to line up now and listen to the leader. That's where we are now, you know, and that Mr. I mean, what Mr. Trump has been doing since June at the latest is a kind of emergency politics in search of an emergency he really wants to have an emergency situation where he can say okay we can't count the votes or we've got to stop the election or you know i have to stay in power anyway or or whatever it is and the reason why why i'm saying be calm is you can't fall for that Even if there really is stuff going on, right? And I mean, yeah, there's a pandemic um, and there's an economic crash and there are all kinds of other things going on. But you can't fall for this. This is the oldest trick in the book. The idea that, you know, the, the, the leader says there's an emergency. I just need to hold on to power just a little bit longer. It's just a temporary thing. You know, that's. That's how Hitler came to power. That's how it's generally done. And that's, and that's what Mr. Trump is trying to do now. And we, we, we can't let that happen. If it, if it does happen, let it not happen because we were fooled. That's what that lesson's about. Right, right.
0: Well, I think everybody is awake and aware and paying very strict attention uh, to everything. I heard somebody say last night in one of the news shows that we had 130 million people show up to vote in 2016. Um they think, some people think it's going to be 150 million, maybe more, not just a f- like a few extra million voting, but like significant uh, turnout. And um, I'm not quite sure what that means because in, they take those polls about enthusiasm level and Trump's uh, base is very enthusiastic. Um, we're just enthusiastic about getting rid of him. We're less enthusiastic about, you know, I mean, nobody hates Joe Biden. I I don't think they do hate. I mean, that's a strong emotion. Um, most people, I think, probably think this is going to be so much so much better than than what we're going through right now. Even if even if Biden's politics aren't the same, or you know, maybe he wouldn't go as far as I would go, or whatever. But nonetheless, I think everybody everybody I know seems to be on board. But um, I also know anything can happen in the next six weeks. So. Um, I'm, you know, bracing myself, I guess. Is that a good thing? Or am I, should I just maybe take a chill pill or two? <laughs> What's going on?
1: I, I mean, I think, I think we're kind of in the same. I mean, you know, you've been doing this for so long. I mean, I should be asking you these questions, but I think we're in the same situation that we've been in for four years, just, just more so. So I think we have to be ready to do a little bit more than we would normally do. I think we have to be ready to ask a little bit more of ourselves. So you know, not just vote, but vote a little bit earlier. Vote vote early if you can, because of the post office, um, and to make it a little easier on all the people who have to do the counting. Get ready for political action around the election or, or after the election. You know, being making sure your vote gets counted um, is 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 a fine thing, but also returning to your previous question, being calm. I mean, we. We expect a kind of instant gratification on November third, and what Mr. Trump is going to try to do, he's going to say. If we don't know the result on November third, which is very possible because he's messed up the post office and there's going to be so much postal voting, if we don't know the result on November third, that doesn't mean anything. That's that's no reason for him to declare a state of emergency. That's no reason for us to get upset. We're used to that, but we you know, there's another five weeks before we have to count the ballots. So we it, we really should be calm about that. We can't let people get away with the idea that because we don't know the outcome on November third, therefore suddenly we have to, you know, therefore he gets to litigate or declare a state of emergency. No, 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 no. All that has to happen then is that people have to count the ballots. And Americans have to make it clear that we care about our ballots being counted.
0: Yeah. All I know is that the the blue mailbox that used to sit outside the door of my apartment building is gone and um it's and i'm'm I'm, I have to mail in the application uh for the absentee ballot so and and I don't you know because of you know I've been in my own sort of lockdown I'm, i don't want to leave uh, the building um at, at this point just because of my own compromised situation here but Um, so, uh, this is all, which I actually want to ask you, you got up to 18 and you, and and now I think people are thinking, what's, so what's 19 and 20? What are we not, maybe not dealing with yet? Uh, I can't, I can't I don't have the book in front of me here, but what, what was number 19 and 20?
1: Oh, well, number, number 19 is be a patriot. And, and this goes to, I mean, it goes to kind of what you were saying about, about Mr. Biden, I mean, nineteen is about wanting your country to be its best self. Yeah, and you know we've we've you know we've been we've been our worst selves. I mean, we've been our worst selves a lot. You know, and in in the last three and a half years, we've we've been our worst selves pretty much every day. Uh, But being a patriot means that you hold your country up to the values that that it says it stands for. And I I I, I agree with you that um, if 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 Biden and Harris win, that's that doesn't automatically change things, I, but I think it opens the, it opens the way for a lot of policies, including on health care, that I think w- would start to make the country better. You know, we, we obviously we can't we can't go back, right? It's ridiculous to think we can go back to 2016 or wherever. You know, 2016 was not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the the last lesson is number twenty is be as courageous as you can. And that's right. all it is. I mean, every other lesson in the book then has some examples, has some text, you know, but number, those are the last, that's, those are, those are the only words of that lesson. Be as courageous as you can. You no, know, a, a, a little tiny bit of courage can go, can go a long way, especially if a lot of people show a little bit of courage, courage. So that's the last lesson.
0: And that may be very necessary
1: if, um, right. So,
0: yeah, yeah, Jeez. Well, um, before we uh, uh, close out here, I just want to go back to to our our, our melody, um, the current uh, book that you have out right now, and um, I heard this week that you know you got all these pharmaceutical companies working on the uh, vaccine. I heard two things um, this week, and I I talked to people at uh, NIH or former NIH people and. And uh, people at some of our Ivy League schools, doctors, scientists. Um, and two things came up this week. Uh, number one was the, we get a problem with the vaccine. There, It's not going to be a vaccine this year or next year. Um, and people are being lied to about this. One of the main reasons is is because, and I can't explain the science of this, but essentially what is going to be in the vaccine, the culture, uh uh, that's going to be in the vaccine that's, that's going to be, be put in our body has to be stored in, in freezers that are 80 to 90 degrees below zero. We don't have enough of those. The, the research labs have them. I'm sure Yale has one or two of them. But um, but uh, supermarkets don't have them. Meat lockers don't have them. Um, we, we're, we're not going to be able to have doses of vaccine for three hundred million people, and it's going to, have to be more than one dose you're going to have to take, and 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 actually, uh, you know, they they can't travel long from the time they're outside the eighty below zero freezer. So this is a big problem, and uh, nobody's really talking about it. I, I heard one person on TV mention it this week, um, but it's it's very little being discussed, yeah, and the other. Thing I heard is that of all these pharmaceutical companies in a race to come up with the vaccine, only one of them has said that they will not take or make a profit. They do not want anything from it. Just if they if they can get paid for what the cost of making it fine, but they don't want any profit. They do not want a profit if they come up if they're the ones that come up with the vaccine. And that was AstraZeneca, and When I heard that, I thought, well, of course, it's not an American pharmaceutical company. It's a British company. And they've, they've come out publicly and said no profit. Um, and this goes back to what you were saying and what things that you point out in the book that, that our values, our culture, that if we don't operate like this, if it's in, I put this in my movie, um, Capitalism, a love story about Jonas Salk. And here's, he's the guy that that came up with the vaccine for polio. And um, made life infinitely better. For and he refused to he refused to trademark it or copyright it. Um, he was asked on Meet the Press, "Why aren't you? Are you nuts? Why aren't you? This is yours. You came up with it." He said, "Well, you know, would I would I copyright the sun? You know, if we back then, this was in the fifties, they weren't thinking solar power then. But if we could, I wouldn't do that. The sun belongs to everybody." And this vaccine that I invented belongs to everybody, and so he never got a dime off it. And his attitude was, "Hey, I'm a I'm a big ass scientist. I make a lot of money from that. I write books. I make a lot of money from writing books. Um, and I'm doing well. You know, I uh, I don't need five cars. I'm we're doing well with two cars. And it was just to, re- to go back and look at that footage, and I just and I'm. And I thought of you when I, when I was you know, just doing the research for this episode of Rumble, and I just thought, um, you, what could how can we either get back to the ways of, of that kind of thinking of Dr. Jonas Salk or, or the way that AstraZeneca is thinking now? Because I think, like you said earlier, we would be freer and we'd be healthier and we'd be all these things if everything wasn't tied to the dollar bill. And it's, it's, we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot and we're hurting ourselves desperately. I think, I don't know. I just, I wanted to just, you know, before we end here, I just, I need your help basically, because I'm, I'm constantly thinking about this and what we can do to make things better in terms of taking care of each other and not thinking about um, profit first.
1: Yeah, I I think, I think the whole I, th- I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I, the, examples abound, you know, this whole the whole pandemic, uh, the, the, the relief package with all of this money directed to people who don't actually need it. Um, January and February, our, our, our Department of Commerce is, is selling masks made in the US to China because that's profitable. January, February, March, we're not, we, there are tests available in Germany, but we're not buying them. This Presumably is what because, happened
0: this past January, yeah, February, March. Yeah, sorry, yeah. 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 Presumably
1: because, you know, somebody was waiting for an American company to come up with something. So we didn't get tested. And that's that's why we have a that's why we have a pandemic. I think I think we have to, you know, the whole thing has to be retooled. I mean, the whole history of healthcare, which I know a tiny bit about, the whole history of healthcare is not is not about it's not about the home run. I mean, you have these occasional brilliant moments, like the discovery of a vaccine, but you know that i think during this pandemic i think uh, polio was actually finally stamped out on the continent of africa that's like that's the labor of a lot of people with the cooperation of a lot of people over over a lot of years it's about practices and habits and selflessness and believing in science and having authorities that you can trust part of the problem is when it is all about profit then then americans understand it's all about profit and then you don't trust medicine You know, you may, you know, you may think some crazy conspiratorial thing, but you've got some reason for not trusting medicine if, if you realize correctly that it's all about profit. So we have to have a public health system that people trust. You know, we have to be willing to spend our tax dollars on that. But I think we also have to undo the system that we, that we, that we do have. I mean, I think we have to have a, 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 a fundamental change in the way we think about the welfare state, especially with respect to, to, to younger people. And to children i think we have to we have to actively support the idea of truth by supporting local journalism um we have to have an idea of truth so that we can understand what our doctors are telling us so we don't get carried away if we don't believe in truth we can't believe in medicine and none of this will work and i think you know that the doctors have to be empowered doctors are not perfect you know i have good reason to you know say doctors are not perfect but you know and i don't but i don't want them to be perfect i don't want them to be heroes i don't like it when people talk about doctors as heroes we shouldn't be expecting our doctors and nurses to be heroes we should have a system in which they they do a good job because they're working in a good situation you know where they're not under gag rules which they are now where they're not told to keep their appointments to 15 minutes where they actually have the authority which we naively believe that they have. And, and instead they're just cogs in a machine right now. They're just advertisements for corporate hospitals right now. These are the things we need and we need to have healthcare as a right. We have to start again thinking about, thinking this all through from the starting point that our bodies are not objects to be sold, but that healthcare is a right. And then think through the system starting starting that way. I mean, as Americans, Frankly, this is a matter of self-respect. We should not disrespect ourselves so much as to think that our bodies are just objects that when they get sick, somebody you don't know who doesn't care about you or your family is going to make money from it. We need to respect ourselves enough to claim health care as a human right and then think forward from there.
0: Boy, that, that's, uh, that's beautifully put. Are you okay? Are, are you going to be okay? Are you, are, uh, you mentioned that you're still, you know, still coming back. From uh, from the shock of it all um, With what you went through But uh, um, You know, and, and you don't have to answer that That's your own private business But maybe it's just because I want you to be okay And there's so many of us Who've loved reading your writings over the years And really need you Now um, We're going to need you either way um, Whoever wins um, Because Biden winning isn't the end of it That's just the beginning So it's, um, you know and, and the way that you process this for us and and help us understand how we can learn from the past uh, is is such a gift to all of us. And um, so that's why I ask you the question. And I've now given you long enough to decide whether you want to answer it, which <laughs> you do not have to answer it. But, but you can just say that, you know, uh, you're not going anywhere soon. That's good enough for me. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I've I've made I've made the decision to to publish a book which reveals intimate details about <laughs> about my medical no, that's history. that's
0: true, right. So, yeah.
1: So, I mean, look, I when I started making the notes for this book, you know, in in little in little blue notebooks, I was I was really sick. And I was just writing a word or two at a time so I would remember stuff later on. And then in April when I started to put those thoughts together and had a little time, you know, cause I was still recuperating. I, 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 I tried to write the book, Our Malady, which you've been kind enough to talk to me about today. Uh, I mean, j- just for the reason you said, cause I wanted what I had gone through to make sense to me and to make sense for other people so that we could all, you know, draw from it so that, you know, these things don't have to happen again, because I deeply believe that they don't have to happen. You know, the system that we take as normal is not normal. Anyone looking at it from Canada or anywhere else thinks that it's not, it's not normal. So I'm answering your question because I wrote the book partly to show to myself that I could write a book again. You know, that's, that's where I was. I mean, there were weeks there where I couldn't remember words, right? So I was writing the book partly to show myself that I could still do something like this again. I am not the same as I was in December of 2019. I still have symptoms that I, I have symptoms. Some of them will probably be with me for a long time that I did not have in December, 2019. On the other hand, I'm, I'm wiser um, and I think I understand myself better. And I think I understand the country a little bit better and I wouldn't go back. And this is the thing. I don't think like we, we can't go back. We're not going back to 2019 or 2016. We're not going back. We can only go forward. And recovery doesn't mean going back. Recovery means you've learned something. You know, you've gone through something tough. You've learned something from it, and now you're going to be in a better different place. So, I feel good. I feel good. I feel good about this book. I feel good about our conversation. I'm 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 glad we had it. And thank you for asking. I I I I feel good. I feel good about myself. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. And uh um, I encourage people to read this book. It's called um, "Our Malady," and it um, Timothy Snyder is the author. Um, nine ten months ago, you were dying, and and for all intents and purposes, if you were maybe somebody else or didn't have the immune system, you have uh, you would have died. You didn't, and and you've chosen to share um, what you learned while you were so deathly ill. Um, and and not just talk about it in, uh, like you know you're not you're not appearing here on Dr. Oz uh, you're, you're we're talking about how how these personal things affect they, they have a political consequence and they affect all of us. Thank you so much. I wish you the best and hope to see you again on the other side of the calamity that we're all in the middle of right now.
1: So glad talking to you be well.
0: So before we go everyone, um, I just want to, Uh, remind all of us that uh, we are on a mission uh, this week uh, to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg and to honor her final request uh, that uh, her seat not be filled until after the election, that the new president, uh, hopefully a new president, will be the one filling it. Um, So continue to make your phone calls to your senators, to other senators, uh, the switchboard on Capitol Hill for the Senate is 202-225-3121. And I'll I'll put that number on my on my podcast page here. Uh it'll it'll be there. Um participate in any kind of demonstrations or protests that you hear that are taking place in front of your Senator's offices in your locally. I know like in Michigan, you know, we have two senators like every state has, and each of them have like three offices in different cities around the, the state. Uh, so where I live up North, uh, there's an officer there in, in Traverse city. Um, and, but there's also, I think there's offices in Lansing, Ann Arbor, Detroit, uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, so, uh, Uh, And even if they're a Democrat and even if they've said, no, of course they're not going to let participate in Trump's thing, what he's trying to do here. It's important that we be seen and heard. This is not the time to be quiet. Um, If you can't go, if you you feel compromised, that you can't be out in public like that, that's fine. Do it from home, do it on social media, make those calls. um, And let Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer know that, we don't want them to fund the government if the government is going to allow uh this travesty of pushing through some right-wing, you know, nutcase to be on the supreme court just to get it done in the in the, you know, 6 weeks before the election. That is wrong, everybody knows it's wrong. Even the Republicans said it was wrong 4 years ago when when they wouldn't let Obama and he had 11 months still left in his term. They wouldn't allow it. So they set the new rule, Mitch McConnell. And now, of course, because they are such fraudulent people, they uh, are going to break their own rule because it benefits them. We've had enough of this kind of behavior in the last four years. And so that's why we all need to have our voices heard right now. And we need to start talking about a plan. And in the coming week or so here, I'm going to put some things out there in terms of what we all can be doing in the swing states and other other. Other things we may not even be thinking about for ourselves in terms of making sure that that they have our right registration so that we're not denied uh, the chance to vote on Election Day. Things like this we'll talk about uh, in the coming uh, podcast. Uh, but in the meantime, make your voices heard on this particular issue when it comes to the Supreme Court and make your plan now. Some states are already voting if you're in one of those states, vote, vote as early as you can. Get your mail in or absentee ballot as early as you can. Do not wait. Do not wait. And if you can turn your ballot in to the city clerk or to the, to the uh, ballot box that they have outside city hall or wherever it is, do that if you can. Obviously the mail system has been compromised and, uh, it's a criminal, criminal activity. Wow. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, for today, I'm going to thank our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our uh, engineer and uh, editor, Nick Quaz, um, everybody else who's giving me a hand here. Um, the, the wonderful voicemails, uh, we've been uh, sharing some of them here. I will share more of them. Thank you for leaving me a voicemail. You can do that you can, just by clicking on the podcast platform page here can send me an email to mike at com. i read all my mail um so and i i appreciate doing this with you and we're all in this together folks um boy we know that now more than ever what whatever else trump is planning to do here in these next six weeks you know (laughs) our minds are not as evil as his so we can't even (laughs) imagine it but um but we know we're not done with the surprises yet, so let's keep that seat vacant so the next president can fill it by the will of the American people, and um, and let's stand up and do whatever it is that we need to do locally. We've got to get our state houses and state senates in the right hands because they're going to draw the maps for the next 10 years. Very important to involve yourself in your local state races. All right, everybody. Uh, Again, my thanks to Dr. Timothy Snyder from Yale University. His book is called Our Malady. Uh, Another incredible read. I encourage you to to pick it up. And um, I will talk to you again very soon. Uh, This has been Rumble, and I have been and will remain Michael Moore. Thank you, everybody.